everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. This past Monday, I flew into Lexington, Kentucky to speak at a statewide pastors conference, and one of our staff members, Preston Mitchell, was kind enough to accompany me on this trip. We arrived rather late. We were tired and hungry, so we searched for a restaurant and finally located one right across the street from our hotel. We were seated in a little booth, and a waiter walked up to the table. And I'll try to imitate this waiter because the guy was so unique, he's almost surreal. He approached us and he said, Guys, how are you doing? Welcome to Columbia Steakhouse. Mmm, good. You cannot, yes sir, it's good. You cannot teach the kind of food we have here. Let me recommend something before I get your order. Let me recommend our wilted salad. The chef chops it real fine like, puts a little pepper in there. Mm Mm-hmm, he does. Some seasoning. Little, little, little bit of onion, and it, it, it's, it's kind of wilted, and you will love it. We have a little bit of house dressing with it. I really recommend it. We said, uh, okay, that sounds great. I said, tell me your name one more time. Jim. Jim's the name. Jim. Where are you guys from anyway? And we said, uh, Jim, we're, we're from uh, Dallas, Texas. Oh, Dallas, yeah, that's good, but, you know, I'm sure Dallas has some pretty good beef, but let me hint around on the best thing I think on this menu. I'm telling you, this right here is going to melt in your mouth. Try our little steak. It's a little filet mignon. We wrap a little bit of bacon around it. Mmm, it's good. The chef cooks it. It will melt in your mouth, son. You have never had corn-fed beef is what it is. Corn-fed beef. Won't you get some steak? (laughs) We looked at each other and Preston and I agreed and we said, Jim, that sounds pretty good. So in a couple of moments, the wilted salad was brought out and the steak, and it was okay. And after the meal, Jim rushed back up to the table. Guys, may I interest you in some dessert? Our chef, this this guy is one of the best cooks in Lexington, Kentucky. He makes a carrot cake about six inches high. Kind of slab of carrot cake. You won't believe it. Melt in your mouth. Best you've ever had. Best you've ever had. You want some? I said, Jim, that's okay. Uh, if you could bring the check, I said. But, but let me ask you a quick question, Jim. Uh, Preston and I feel a little bit of energy now. Uh, do you know of a theater around town where we can maybe catch a late movie? You are in luck. Yes, I do. You pull out of the parking lot. You go right and keep going for about a mile. Behind the bylo, there's a, uh, some movies. You love it. Some movies. Also, guys, let me recommend a topless club right behind the restaurant. Man, the girls there, woo! The... I said, Jim, we're not into that. Well, I, you know, I, I didn't know most guys first come to town, they ask me, Jim, where are the ladies? Where are the ladies? And I'm just going to tell you where the ladies are. Those ladies get you in trouble at once. They get you in big trouble. <laughs> oh, boy, it's something else. But that sure is a good topless cup. Anyway, what are you guys in town for? <laughs> and I looked over at Preston, 
And Preston, behind that goatee of his, kind of smiled and said, Jim, uh, this, this guy right here is leading a pastor's conference tomorrow morning. <laughs> Praise God! I love Jesus! I'm a Christian! I believe in the whole Bible! I thought to myself, yeah, except the part that talks about lust. And then Jim scurried off, picked the check up, and kind of dropped it on the table, and we never saw him again. I ask you, what was going on there? What was happening? Lying. First of all, Jim lied about the food. It wasn't great. The steak did not melt in your mouth. If I recall, we had to chew it for a long time just to swallow it. Jim also lied about his lifestyle. One minute he was talking up a topless club, the next minute he was talking up Jesus. An exaggeration. Falsification. Misrepresentation. Spin or stretch. Whatever you want to call it, it's lying. And that brings us to the ninth commandment. God literally forged these words in stone in the high altitudes of Mount Sinai. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God's saying, don't lie. But I ask you, what do you say when your back's against the wall? What do you say when you have to close the deal? What do you say when you really want to impress somebody? What do you say when a mistake has been confronted? What do you say? Do you give an exaggeration? Falsification? Misrepresentation? Spin? Or stretch? Do you lie? Or do you tell the truth in an open, honest, transparent, and authentic way? What do you do? God, throughout His Word, talks about truth-telling. God loves for us to speak words that are honest. Because truth is tied into the very nature and essence of who God is. Thus, if God is truth, and the Bible says God is truth, if truth did originate with Him, which I believe, then untruth or lying is contrary to His character. It swims against God's current. It goes against the grain. And I believe God is gets so upset and so hurt and so burdened when we lie because he realizes our predicament on this planet was the result of the telling and the believing of a lie. The telling and the believing of a lie way back in the garden. The truth 
is out there, as you just heard in the song by DC Talk, but our culture doesn't wield or share the truth very much. It takes teams of lawyers and reams of contracts just to make a simple agreement. This ninth commandment seems to be collapsing around us. That's why the words of Psalm 52 verse 3 are so relevant to our world today. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, God says there's seven things that I hate. And two out of the seven deal with verbal dishonesty. And we can trace the scent of this sin all the way back to the evil one himself. Jesus described his tactics and he gave us his resume in John chapter 8, verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar. And a lot of us sit at Satan's feet and we take his course, we become bilingual, and we lie. Every time we lie, every time we say something that's not true or dishonest, every time we exaggerate or misrepresent something, every time we falsify something, put a spin on something, or stretch something, every time we tell a little white lie, we're linking ourselves with Satan. Speaking of white lies, why do we color this sin? Hey, I'm just telling a white lie. I've never heard someone saying, yeah, I'm having a purple affair. <laughs> I want to expose today some lies. Because if the bold truth were known, and we're talking about the truth, because we're under the authority of the truth and we're articulating the truth, but if the truth were known, a lot of us are incredible liars. And I'll tell you before I begin that this message, I believe, will convict a lot of us. And as I was studying and preparing for this message this past week, it convicted me. Because there's layers and layers of lies that we tell. And to understand the depth of our lives, we've got to expose the lies for what they are. The first kind of lying that we do, and you'll see it on the side screens there, is something I call power lying. Power lying. When you power lie, you make up accomplishments and act like you know celebrities or power brokers real well, even though you might have just passed them in the hall or given them a high five after a game. You act like you know them real well. You drop their names and talk about them because you think others hearing you will ooh and ah. They will say, whoa, man, that girl, that guy, they must really be something. They must have been there, done that, and know them. Whoa! 
Somehow, when we power lie, we think it will elevate our self-esteem. We think it will put us above another person. Anytime you're around someone who's always talking about their accomplishments, and they're always talking about people that they know, or they've rubbed shoulders with, two things ought to hit you in your spirit. Number one, you've got to realize and understand that, 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 that they're probably lying. That they're probably making the stuff up. Number two, you've got to understand and realize that they're a walking billboard advertisement of a poor self-concept. When they're talking about the people that they know or the things that they have done, they're saying, oh, look at me. I need a pat on my back. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm something else. And I've talked to people who've made up so many past accomplishments and so many celebrities that I wanted to stop them in the middle of their power lying and say, hey, someone needs to write a book about your life. I want to say that. I mean, Forrest Gump, come on. He doesn't hold a candle to what you've done. Power lying. Do we have any power lying in the house going on? This next one is the vigil ante type of lying. That revenge lying. You know when someone has hurt you, when someone's damaged you, maybe a coworker, maybe an ex-spouse, maybe a quote, friend, unquote, when they've really hurt you and you're damaged, you begin to get into vigil anti-lying. And you can trump up a lie as quick as a tabloid reporter. And you'll make up something and kind of float it out there. You'll advertise it. You'll put it out in headlines and it just hurts and damages the other person. In the book of Genesis, a man named Joseph is described as an individual who loved God. Joseph was also described as someone who was handsome in form and appearance. In our modern day vernacular, we would say Joseph was buff. He was, he, he was ripped. One day, Mrs. Egypt, Potiphar's wife, made sexual advances toward Joseph. And the phrase Mrs. Potiphar in the Hebrew is rendered Cindy Crawford. That's a lie. That's just a little joke. As Joseph pushed away from her sexual advances, as Joseph left the scene, she became so upset that she got into vigil anti-lying and she trumped up a lie about God's man and it caused Joseph to spend some serious time in prison. Do we have any vigil anti-lying happening in your home, at the health club, in the school? Another form of lying 7-11 lying. It's one of the cool things about our society, isn't it? That we know 24-7 there's always convenience stores open. We can just walk into a 7-11 and pick up the basic necessities of life. Twinkies and 
a Diet Coke, something like that. What happens, though? What happens, though, when we lie for convenience reasons? What happens when we 7-Eleven lie? Oh, we say, I'll be there at the party. We say, I'll help you move. We say, I'll pray for you. We say, I'll be there next weekend to serve in the peaceful kingdom nursery. But beneath our words are lies. We say them, but we have no intention of following through. 7-Eleven lie. It's so easy to get into this stuff, isn't it? Another form of lying is fire escape lying. One of my favorite songs while growing up was by the Ohio Players. Fire. What happens when it gets hot? What happens when the flames begin to leap up around you? What happens when the pressure is put on you? What do you do? What do you do when the policeman pulls you over? What do you say when the board really looks at you and locks eyes with you? What do you say, student, to your parents when you've missed curfew by an hour and ten minutes? What do you say? What do you say to that professor about the exam? What do you say? A lot of us, when we feel the heat, when we feel the fire, we just look for that lie escape, and, 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 we, and we bound down the fire escape and get out of it just by tossing a fire escape lie out. If you fire escape lie, and we all have done that before, you're in good company. There was a man in the Bible over the, Old, over the New Testament by the name of Simon Peter. And Simon Peter walked up to the Lord one day and said, Jesus, I'm with you. I am the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. I am the tower of truth-telling power. I will never diss you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never misrepresent you. I'm with you, Lord. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon Peter, you're going to lie about me several times, three times over the next few hours. And the New Testament describes Simon Peter as a person who began to follow Jesus at a distance. I like when the Bible articulates that. Simon Peter followed Jesus at a distance. He, he kept some land between himself and the Lord. And we always get in trouble when we follow Jesus at a distance because that night, a little girl asked this man, Hey, weren't you connected with Jesus? Uh, aren't you kind of hanging out with him? Aren't you one of his followers? Three times he lied. He felt the flames, didn't he? He felt the fire, the fire escape lie. We also get into rubber band lying. We Stretch and elongate things. We embellish. You're telling that story at the party or on the platform, and it's not really going that good, 
So you do the rubber band thing and add some octane to it. The problem with stretching and elongating and embellishing things is kind of like what happens when you stretch a rubber band too tight. One day, pop! It'll hurt you. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible talks about the danger of distorting the gospel. Back in biblical times, a lot of false religions stretched and did the rubber band thing with Christ and with the Word of God. Just like the Mormons do today, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses do today, just like the Scientologists do today, and many, many others. They're cults. They're false religions. And these cults and false religions pour what I call an out-of-context cocktail. They mix a little bit of truth in with a little bit of error. Then they mix a little bit of falsification and misrepresentation, and then they serve it over the rocks, and mm, mm, wow, this is, this is a really good out-of-context cocktail. And a lot of people drink it, a lot of people believe it, and it's a lie, a distortion. It's one thing to distort someone's words, a teacher's words, or a pastor's words, or a spouse's words, or a friend's words, or a boss's words, but it's another thing to distort God's word. But on top of that, Christians even distort the Bible so they can stretch the Bible to fit their lifestyle. Some people right now are living in sexual sin. You're having sexual intercourse outside the marriage bed. The Bible is crystal clear about this one, ladies and gentlemen. Sexual intercourse is reserved for the marriage bed. But we read God's Word and we try to embellish and stretch it so it can fit our lifestyle. We don't want to read those verses that convict us. Maybe we're having a hard time at work. And we want to be disloyal and disrespectful and kind of abuse our boss. And we don't like to read the verses in the Bible that tell us that we're working for the Lord. We don't like to hear the scripture that says that whatever we do, we should do it for God. We, we, we kind of elongate and stretch and get into rubber band lying. Church involvement, giving, Serving, helping, oh, we, we kind of twist those around. Do we have any rubber band lying going on? There's one more layer that let's talk about, then we'll change to something else. I call this one extreme lying. Do, do, do the X sound, extreme, everybody. I know it's kind of early, we need some aerobic activity. Extreme lying. Extreme lying is when we paint everything as the best. This is the absolute best steak you've ever had in your life. It will melt in your, mm, it'll melt in your mouth. We paint everything as the best or the worst. This was the worst. This was horrible. It was a joke. It was, it was extreme lying. Well, Ed, aren't you getting technical? Isn't the Bible getting really detailed and all fired up about 
embellishing a little bit or, or telling a little white lie or putting our spin on it or doctoring something up. Come on now. You've got to do that stuff just to survive. No, you don't. No, you don't. So then you're thinking to yourself, you're saying, oh, okay, I got it. Okay, and I, I got it. What you're saying to me from the Bible is that I should communicate all truth. So you're telling me if it's true, I should say it. No, I'm not. Everything you communicate must be true, but all truth should not be communicated. You're talking about something scary. Because when you meet those people who say, yeah, I just say whatever comes to my mind. Hey, how you doing? Your outfit doesn't match. You have bad breath and you'll never amount to anything. See you later. <laughs> Whoa! There's got to be balance going on here. Every time we're confronted with the truth, every time I'm confronted with the truth, here's what we do. As human beings, we have the uncanny ability to, to compare ourselves with others. And as you're thinking about some of these lies, you right now are, are kind of rationalizing and, and trying to compare your truth quotient with others. And you're not looking at people to tell the truth more than you do. You're thinking about people that you're much more truthful than. Oh, I'm... I, <laughs> I tell the truth a lot more than this guy. I tell the truth a lot more than this person seated next to me. I, I'm out here, and, 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 and man, surely God grades on this kind of sliding scale, and you're always going to mess up when you compare yourself to your fellow man or fellow woman. Don't go there. I know it's tempting. I do it sometimes, too. Don't do it. Compare yourself to God. Don't worry about the person on your right, on your left. Don't worry about the person on the freeway. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about your coach. Worry about your connection with God. And that's why I laugh so hard when people tell me, you know, I just don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a hypocrite. You know why? I'm a hypocrite. Because I've said a lot of stuff that I'm going to do, but I haven't done it. I've told people, yeah, I'm going to show up, but I haven't shown up. We're all hypocrites. We're all liars. We all miss the mark. Compare yourself to God. I should compare myself to God himself. So what do we do because of this commandment? I'm going to give you some insight right now that I believe if you apply it, will change your life, because this commandment was written for life change. First of all, I want you to critique all of your conversations. I want you to critique all of your conversations. As you've heard me say dozens of times before, I challenge you to write out your prayers. Since I've been 17 years of age, I've been journaling my prayers. Do that. We have journals for you in the bookstore to help you out on this. And as you're journaling, or if you don't want to journal, as you're praying, ask God every day this question. Just say, God, just call him God. You don't have to say, you know, all these churchies terms, thou holiest father. Just say, God, 
God, I want to ask you a question. Have I embellished something today? Have I elongated something today? Have I exaggerated something today? Have I put a spin on something today? Have I lied today, God? Ask God that question. And then wait. Because God says in his word, be still and know that I'm God. Wait. And then you'll feel some areas maybe where you've lied. Maybe where you've embellished, maybe where you've exaggerated or put a stretch or a spin on something. And don't just say, okay, uh, I've messed up and go to the next subject. Now, God, give me this, give me that. Thank you, God, that's that. Don't jump to the next subject. Stay with this one. Because God tells us if we've lied, if we've wronged someone, and here is what separates the tire kickers from the buyers. If we've wronged someone, if we've lied to someone, we're to go to that person, lock eyes with that person, and admit to them that we have spoken an untruth. All it takes, all it takes is for you to do that four or five times, and you'll think a long time about lying. Because I've had to do it before, and it's not fun. Let me tell you the benefits of doing it. First of all, you can look in the mirror after doing it and you will have a blemish-free conscience. Not a mark, not a scar. You're clean before God and you can say, God, I'm doing your stuff your way. The second benefit, it will make an indelible imprint on the person that you come clean with and confess it to. I've been so nervous, like I was a couple of years ago, when I embellished something in talking to a gentleman. I was nervous he, he might take my words the wrong way. What will he think about me? I'm a senior pastor. And when I confessed that I had not told the truth, you would not believe the impact and the grace and the forgiveness. We can all identify with it because we've all lied. It's worth it. Critique your conversations. Number two, this will be a quick one here, a little, little bank shot, a little layup here. Install several lie detectors in your life. Find some people who love you for who you are, some trusted confidants, and ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them, hey, you confront me if you ever see me embellishing or exaggerating or putting a spin or a stretch on something. Do that. And a great person to do that with is your spouse. You know, if you're at a social setting and you see a husband and wife together, you know, men love to exaggerate, don't they? You, you watch that wife hold that husband accountable. It happens naturally. Women just have that in them. <laughs> the husband will go, yeah, when this thing was coming at me and I jumped eight feet out of the way. It wasn't eight feet, it was two feet. Okay, two feet. Anyway, it was the size of an 18-wheeler. No, it wasn't. It was the size of a VW Bug. I'll stop and go to the next one. Third way to make this real and relevant and apply it to your life is follow God's guide Follow God's guide. 
you're saying a guide. Well, 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 the guide is talked about in John chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, see it there? The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. Who is he? He is the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead. And if you're fuzzy about the Holy Spirit, if you're kind of muddy about his role, let me explain what happens. The moment we bow the knee to Christ, the moment we ask him to infiltrate our lives, the moment we embrace him, Jesus places the person of the Holy Spirit on the throne of our lives. And the Holy Spirit works on the inside to turn you and to turn me into truth tellers. And here's how it happens. You're talking to someone in a conversation and you feel this desire kind of going haywire to impress them. You want to kind of make up an accomplishment Maybe to say you didn't ride the bench, but you were an All-American. Or maybe you, you, you feel the urge to, to, to drop a name or, or to stretch something or to, or to vigil anti-lie, and you'll feel the Holy Spirit kind of go, <laughs> begins to punch you and prompt you. And he tells you, hey, you are about to lie. You're about to come up with a big one. Don't do it. It's not worth it. And when we hear and respond to sometimes his punches, when we throttle back, we can feel the love, we can feel the affirmation, we can feel the little high five going on, and the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, that's my man. That's my woman. That's the way I want you to speak. You're telling the truth. You had the option to lie, but you told the truth. That is what it means to follow God's guide. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Every weekend, I stand here and look at all of you. And I know in a crowd this size, numbers of you know the truth, you've embraced the truth, and you've been freed up by the truth. Many of you have done those things. But also know that others here have not. Others here have heard the truth. You know about the truth, but you don't know the truth. I want to wind this whole talk down and share with you some truths that are transformational. Before I do, let me read the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want to talk directly to those here who've heard the truth and know about the truth, but you don't know the truth. You've not embraced the truth, and you've not really been set free. Here's the first transformational truth. Scripture says that we all have made a myriad of mistakes, moral foul-ups, and the Bible calls these actions sins. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's standard of goodness. 
It doesn't matter if you've told a white lie or a big honking lie. It doesn't matter if you've taken a grape from the produce section or robbed a bank. Sin is sin, and we are sinners. The second transformational truth is one day our sins will be discovered. One day when we stand before the brilliant blaze of God's glory, even those small, insignificant sins will look like huge stains. God will reveal them. All of your shams and cover-ups will be out there exposed. There'll be no deal-making. There'll be no small talk here. Our sins will be shown to us concerning what they really, really are. The third transformational truth, we all face a forever. You can talk about it and think about it and read about it. We all face a forever. And the forever will be in one of two places. The Bible says either in heaven or in hell. And if you've not embraced and received and been freed up by the truth, you're facing hell. Those are hard words for me to say. I don't get joy in telling you that. But I know a lot of people here, if you were to die right now, would spend forever away from God in hell because you've made that choice. You've heard the truth. You know about the truth, but you've not embraced it and received it and been freed up by it. And that brings us to the fourth transformational truth. It's a private deal. It's a private decision. I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. It's between you and God. But the moment in time where you stop and you say, God, I don't just want to know about you. I want to know you. I want to embrace you and receive you. I want to be freed up by you and emancipated by your grace. I want that, God. The moment you say that, Christ will infiltrate your life and you'll become a new creature. And right now, as I'm sharing these words with you, I know what's going on. Satan, the father of lies, is giving you a steady stream of garbage. He's saying stuff to you like, hey, don't listen. Ed's just fired up. Hey, relax. Put it off. And Satan's giving some people here the denominational lie. He's saying, hey, man, you were brought up Catholic. You were sprinkled in the Catholic church. You, you were brought up Lutheran. Hey, you cut your teeth in the Baptist church or the Methodist church. Let me tell you something about denominations. They're man-made. I had a man in his late 70s look at me early this week, and he told me these words. He said, if we go up to heaven, the denominational label 
will blow off. He said, if we go down to hell, the denominational label will burn off. So in the grand scheme of things, denominations don't matter in relationship to knowing Christ personally. So you can get off the denominational train, but Satan loves to give you that lie. And then he likes to tell people, hey, he's telling maybe you this, God grades on this giant curve. You're better than most people. Compare yourself to others. You're a good person. You keep your nose clean. You pay your taxes. You're a good suburbanite, well-adjusted. You think a good God would send you to hell? See, Satan lies. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose it. Go back to the book of Genesis if you want to have Satan's lies exposed. Satan lied to Eve. Satan said, hey, Eve, if you take that piece of fruit, you'll become like God. Did she? The second lie, hey, Eve, if you partake of the fruit, you'll never die. Did she? Don't believe the lie, because Satan will lie to you all the way to hell. Respond to Christ, and here's how you do it. Here's how you respond to the truth and let the truth set you free. You simply say the truth. You say, God, I want to tell you what you already know about my condition. I'm a sinner, and I believe to the best of my ability that you, God, sent Christ to die on the cross for all of my sins. And I admit that to you, and I believe that to the best of my knowledge, and right now I receive it. I embrace it. I ask Christ to come into my life. And the moment we do that, we're emancipated. We're freed up. And from the moment in time that that occurs, throughout our lives into eternity, when God looks at us, if we've received Christ, He sees Christ. He sees a human being who has applied His Son's sacrifice to. That, that's what God sees. God doesn't see sin anymore. But don't leave this place until you've made that decision. Because why lie? Why lie? Tell the truth. Come clean and let it set you free. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.